You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, we're going to tackle some of the obstacles people face when trying to overhaul their diets. From self-sabotage to hitting that dreaded plateau, we'll chat about why these happen and what you can do to overcome them. Joining me to go through all of this is a show favourite, it's sports nutritionist and strength and conditioning coach Brian Keane. His brand new book, The Keane Edge, looks to help you find the right mindset and motivation so you can achieve your health goals. Brian, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Things are fantastic, Carl. Thanks so much for having me back on. Really looking forward to chatting. Listen, we're delighted to have you back. Great time of year to launch a book. Obviously, people are trying to get healthy to make some changes. Uh, And it is really important when making those changes. What you want to do, where do you want to go? Setting that at the start is really important, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think this time of year as well, like I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with January when it comes to setting weight loss and fat loss targets because the mindset that people can come in at it with is, you know, I've overindulged or I've gone off plan over the Christmas and now I need to really do something intense or change up a lot of different things in a very short period of time in order to get my weight back down or get my body fat back down. Although on the flip side, I love that motivation element that comes and people are, you know, ready to make a change. But the entire philosophy, it's been my long-term philosophy with nutrition and fitness, very similar to you. What's sustainable? What can you stick to over the long-term and kind of setting yourself up on the right foot? And the book, then The Keen Edge, was all about that. It's kind of giving people the tools so that they're able to start a nutritional plan, find what kind of nutrition, particularly the nutrition element, is going to work for them and put some fitness in and on top of it, of course, exercise, moving more, whatever people enjoy and be consistent with it throughout the year so that it's not just a plan for January, it's potentially a plan for you know the next six months, 12 months, 18 months until your goals change again. Because people will look to the obvious stuff, won't they? They'll try and drop their calories down to an unsustainable amount. They'll fall off the wagon after a couple of weeks and go back to where they were before. And it's important not to do that, that we look at that lifelong and kind of that long-term approach to your health and wellness goals, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Like I, and I totally get where the temptation comes from because when you're coming off the back of Christmas where your calories were probably way higher, you know, extra food, extra sweets. I know like I had several boxes of quality fruits. They were really enjoyable. I regret nothing. But you're, you have that little bit of, oh my, I need to get back on track or I need to get my weight back down or get my body fat back down. And people can press the panic button and go from you know, eating what they wanted for a couple of weeks of Christmas and being quite lenient for October, November in the lead up to being way too restrictive in January where they're making all these nutritional changes and going from not really making too many conscious food choices to eating, you know, salad for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I'm I'm being dramatic for effect, but the version of eating salad for breakfast, lunch and dinner, which isn't sustainable for anybody. You might be able to do that for a week, two weeks, maybe a month if you're super disciplined, but then you'll fall off track as opposed to making those small, changes looking at your breakfast getting your protein sources up or getting your protein intake up so that you can you know feel better and satiated between meals and then finding an exercise program that's the other thing that I have a little bit of a love hate with in January is people going to the gym that have never been in the gym or have only gone a couple of days a week to going five, six, seven days a week. Like that's not sustainable for anybody. And also it's not needed because you know this Carl more than anybody. If you go from doing 
you know, two workouts a week, you go back in January to doing three, you're going to get amazing results. And it's very much the case of why would you do six days if you get the similar results with three? It's kind of like, you know, if you someone gave you the option of working 80 hours a week or 40 hours a week for the same pay, which would you pick? And training can be like that and nutrition can be like that as long as there's a little bit of education on the front end and not pressing the panic button when it comes to dropping calories too low, which is just unsustainable. Yeah, so like any goal is about, look, you know, there's several different aspects to it. So one will be the movement components, one will be the food, and one will be the goal setting itself. It is important to look at the food because you can't train a bad diet. And you and I have been saying this for a very long time, but it is, you can't, you know, especially as you get older, I've seen that myself and bodies very, reacts very differently now to change than it would have done in its 20s. I'm now 40, it makes me feel extremely old. But the food is important. You have to look at that if you want to be healthier. And regardless whether it's fat loss or, or weight gain or, weight, or whatever it is, the food is a really important thing to look at. Yeah, I think it's 80% of progress. And funnily enough, the thing I've kind of changed my mind about in recent years as a trainer in the last five, six years is I have nutrition and sleep both up there hand in hand as the two most important things when it comes to any fitness goal, whether that's weight loss, fat loss, building muscle, sports performance, etc. Those two things are going to be a massive amount of your recovery. They're going to be a huge component of your energy level. So if you have, you know, let's say a weight loss goal or a fat loss goal, if you're eating well and fueling your body and you're sleeping well, and you, we can get into that if you want as we go along, you're going to move around more. So even if you're not following an exercise regimen, you're you know, neat activity, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, that goes way up because you're moving more, you're feeling good. And as a result, you know, you, that leads to sleeping better, which has this positive feedback loop for people, which can particularly work for weight loss and fat loss. And I think when you look at, like you said, everything as a whole, nothing in its single component part is going to make or break your plan. But if you do pull the nutrition element and don't get that right, there's nothing you can do. You can train for several hours a day. You're not going to feel your best. You're not going to look your best. So looking at your nutrition, and then I would say very closely related is looking at your sleep and then build everything else on top of that. Your training or your exercise and potentially some supplements if you want to add them in. But you know, make sure you're doing things in the correct order, like what you do in the order matters. So look at nutrition, look at sleep first and foremost, and then look at everything else after that. So naturally, let's start with sleep then. It's, it is the foundation of absolutely everything. Again, as, as, as I age, the more I, I begin to realize that. So uh, naturally, people's sleep cycles have probably been affected over the last two years anyway. We're more stressed out than we have been before. We have had COVID and all that to deal with. Chat me through some simple tips for people to improve their sleep. With sleep, and I have sleep and stress as the same chapter in the book because normally the thing that inhibits people sleeping well is you know the stress element, particularly as you said over the last two years because of the way things have been. So when it comes to sleep, I would always start with kind of the low-hanging fruit, like things like having a routine. So going to bed at a similar time each night, whatever that time is, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., half 11, whatever it is, and getting up at a similar time, like focusing on your quality of sleep, I think a misconception there is around sleep is this quantity. How much does everybody need? You know, most people will say, well, eight hours, but that's really relative. It's kind of like saying everyone should eat this amount of calories or everybody should train this amount of days. Well, you know, that's different for someone with weight loss versus someone training for a hundred mile ultramarathon. Like, so the answers are different. The context matters and sleep is the same, but most people 
will find that that seven, eight, nine hour sleep is going to be their sweet spot. So experiment and see what works best for you. And again, that knowledge is, is useful because otherwise you're aiming for this eight hours when, you know, maybe you need seven or maybe you need nine hours to really optimize everything. Like what sleep does, and I talk about it in the context of the book with weight loss and fat loss, is one, it increases that neat activity I talked about earlier, but it also balances out those hormones that are really important for dietary adherence, i.e. things like ghrelin and leptin, ghrelin being your hunger hormone, the hormone that tells your body, I'm hungry, and leptin, the hormone that tells your body, well, I'm, I'm full, you know, you can stop eating. Those become downregulated when you're not sleeping well. And as a result, that makes nutritional and dietary adherence so much harder because you're walking around, one, feeling low energy because you had a poor night's sleep, but also two and three, your ghrelin levels are disrupted, so you're feeling hungry all through the day. Again, I, I know this better than anyone, Carol. If I've had a bad night's sleep, my hunger levels are all over the place the next day. And you're normally looking for like carby foods, sugary foods, sometimes caffeinated foods, just to kind of stay awake. And that has its own host of issues if you consume it through late in the day negatively affects your sleep at nighttime. Like most people's processing time of caffeine, the half-life is about five and a half hours for the majority of people, which means that if you have a cup of coffee at you know 12 o'clock at half five that evening, half of that caffeine is still in your system. So that's fine if you're going to bed around 11 o'clock, but shift that forward a few hours to 4 p.m., 5 p.m., and that's going to disrupt somebody's sleep and falling asleep and staying in a deep sleep. So one of the things I would say is look at the routine, Understand it's balanced with hormones, which will help you massively in your neat activity moving around. Look at things like blocking out your blue light on your phone. So blue light that you'll see on your screen or laptop or TV, that disrupts melatonin production. And melatonin is effectively, to, to, to keep it simple, it's your sleep hormone. Again, there's so much else going on, but to keep it very simple, it's your sleep hormone, which means that if that hormone's being disrupted and downregulated, you're not going to sleep as well that night. And looking at a screen, looking at your phone right before bedtime is blocking and blunting that blue light. And that's going to, you know, a lot of people, and you've seen this and I've, I've heard you talk about it, just removing the screen time before bed, taking away the anxiety element and social media and the comparison syndrome and all the other stuff that can come from that, just from a physiological standpoint, you're going to find that you're able to fall asleep a lot easier and you'll probably stay asleep much longer to get into that deep quality sleep. So the three things I would say, and there, there's loads in the book, I have a 12-step guide for people in the book, but three of the most popular ones that are quite easy for most people is have a routine that's going to bed and getting up at a similar time each night. Look at your blue light and blocking that out before bed. And then on top of that, if you need to add in anything else that's going to give you that little bit of an extra support, journaling before bed, having a hot bath before bed, sometimes a cold shower even before bed will work for regulation, experimenting with the things that work best for you that will give you a good night's sleep based on your individual variability, because everyone's different, of course different things work for different people, and then doubling down on those things that work can add up to a better night's sleep and not neglecting it. Like we normally with a weight loss goal, fat loss goal, body composition goal, we'll have a structured training or we'll have a structured nutrition, but then we'll let sleep be random, which is funny because we don't do it with the other two areas. And I would say nutrition and sleep are of equal priority. So have a routine in place, have a plan in place, and then try and stick to it as much as you can. Chat to me about tracking progress. So we've told people, look at your sleep, very important. Look at your food, very important. Tracking that progress over the course of time. Tracking progress is important, but talk to me about your two favorite ways. 
I think the first thing before we get into tracking progress is you need to be clear on what success looks like for you. And that sounds kind of obvious when it comes to a fitness goal, but with body composition, people get confused. One of the things that I talk about at the start of the book, and I talk about this on my podcast and on channels, and we discussed it when you were on mine as well, the difference between weight loss and fat loss, that they're two completely different things. Like weight loss is reducing the numbers on a scale. Fat loss is lowering the amount of fat on your body. And what can happen to a lot of people is they're tracking weight loss when in reality the thing they want is fat loss. They want to walk around looking better. They want to look lean or toned or you know healthy. They, they're looking for fat loss, but they're tracking weight loss, i.e. they're tracking the scale. So what I like to tell people to do is first to shift that. Like if you want to lose weight and that's your goal, I think if you're clinically overweight or obese, yeah, 100%, use the scale. It's going to be your best indicator of progress, you know. But if you're somebody who is at a relatively healthy weight, maybe a little bit above what you would consider healthier and you don't look the way you want to look, track fat loss. And my two favorite ways to do that, now I go through ones in the book that are a lot more advanced, but I don't recommend. So a DEXA scanner or body fat calipers, but the ones I recommend are your photos and clothing. I'm like, they're the two things that will give you the best indicator of if you're progressing with a reduction in body fat. One of the things I do with people in programs, I know it's similar we've had this discussion, is taking photos. Because what photos do is they give you that direct comparison and keeping the conditions the same every week. So I'll tell people to track their progress on a Friday morning before they've eaten or drank anything in the same lighting as much as possible, same time of the day. So you're keeping all the variables similar and all you're taking is you know a photo each week. And then you can look at week one, week three, week six, week nine, and see is body fat coming down. And then on top of that, your clothes. How are your clothes feeling? How are your dresses? Have you dropped a dress size or two? Have you dropped a jean size? Are you wearing looser t-shirts now or have to go down a size in t-shirts or jumpers? Your body and your clothing and your photos will tell you if your body fat is reducing or not. And I think that, again, without getting into any of the intangibles, how's your energy, how's your mood, how's your sleep, how's your sex drive, but the physical tangibles on is body fat coming down? They're my two personal preferences and two personal favorites for sure from a professional standpoint. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Lay Health. You're chatting with Brian Keane, all things health and fat loss and sleep and all other lovely stuff, which is great. Chat to me around self-sabotage then. You you touched on it earlier on in terms of social media, that comparison that kind of t- spirals people out of control. And it is, a you know, self-sabotaging it can happen in loads of different ways. So let's chat through that a little bit. I think self-sabotage, it's a great question because there's definitely a chunk of people, and I've chatted to a few of them already on Instagram, who picked up the book because of the self-sabotage chapter and the section in there on self-sabotage. Because a lot of us, particularly those who listen to you know Real Health, they listen to my podcast and other podcasts where we have a very similar message, find what works for you, be health-based, you know, and make sure you're tracking the correct things to put it into a nutshell when it comes to body compositional change. But... With self-sabotage, sometimes that doesn't matter. You can know that, well, I need to get into a calorie deficit, but that doesn't stop people going off plan or falling off track. And with self-sabotage, I think identifying the failure as feedback is the first thing. So every failed diet, every failed exercise program, every failed thing that you've done within health, fitness, and nutrition that hasn't worked for you is feedback on what not to do in the future. And I think it's very easy to lump all of that failure as a bad thing, where people are like, well, diets don't work. 
and I, you know, I get that all the time, Carol. People are like, well, diets don't work. I'm like, well, yeah, I know you're right. I, I, I'm of that mindset too. Like, I think a nutritional plan is always going to be better. But I'll also get people to question their belief system on, well, have you tried every diet ever? Because, you know, that'd be like, you know, me saying that, you know, I don't like any cars, but I haven't driven every car to know if there's a car that I like to drive the most. And nutrition is kind of similar. It's kind of like finding the fit for you. And with self-sabotage, that failure is feedback. All those diets that haven't worked in the past, asking yourself, why haven't they worked? Were they too restrictive? Were you hungry? Were you low energy? Was your mood really poor? All of those things. Like, again, I would fall off track if I felt like that on a nutritional plan or on a diet. So it's not an issue. You're just using that as feedback that if I'm setting up a nutritional strategy for myself, I can't have this thing happen again. So if you know that you've restricted calories way too much and that led you to binge eating or a binge restrict cycle, that approach isn't going to work for you going forward. You have feedback that it doesn't work. So straight away, you're picking out the elements of the things that don't work. So I have in the book that my entire nutritional philosophy is finding a plan that includes foods that you enjoy, that fits into your lifestyle and schedule, and that's in alignment with your goals. If you can find a nutritional strategy that does those three things, regardless of what that looks like, calorie counting, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, clean eating, it doesn't matter what strategy you try, and I break them all down in the book, the pros and the cons, it's about finding the one that works for you. So the foods that you enjoy, a big thing that I've been trying to open up the conversation on is people separating foods into good and bad categories. And I just don't think that's a helpful conversation when it comes to weight loss and fat loss in particular. Like what I'll tell people is, you know, a piece of broccoli is not going to save you from a burning building and a chocolate bar is not going to stab you down a back alley. I'm like, those foods aren't good or bad. Food has no morals, but the context matters. And changing it and keeping something like chocolate. So for example, I don't have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth. Like I love, if I didn't have chocolate every day, I actually think my life would be, I'd feel so much unhappier. Like, you know, anytime we're chatting, we're always both in really good moods, but I'm like, I get to have my chocolate every day. I, I have a couple of brandies at the weekend. I'm, I'm good. I've got a nice balance with those things. But if you remove those from my plan, I wouldn't want to train. I, I probably wouldn't want to get out of bed. I won't be dramatic, but I'm like, that's how much I like chocolate and have that sweet tooth. So I have to factor a small bit of it into my plan every day. Now I don't eat 10 bars every day, but I do have a bar every day because that works well for my calorie control plan based on my training program. Program. And I think that opens up a conversation around self-sabotage, that if you are in the context of good or bad foods, having a chocolate bar or having a couple of glasses of wine or having a packet of crisps in a calorie control plan, and that thing's allowing you to stay on plan, then I would argue in that context, that's a really good food, which allows you to kind of work through some of that self-sabotage. Normally, and from my experience and years of working with people, it's the restrictive element. It's the removal of their favorite foods that leads to that self-sabotage. And then if something happens where you go off plan, you get back on and reset again. You know, I call it not pressing, the, I know you don't swear on this podcast, but so not pressing the panic button. We'll, we'll, we'll use a different word for the podcast. You know, not pressing the panic button where you've, you know, I might as well. So for example, if you've gone off plan Saturday morning, you've had a fry up or, you know, you've had something that wasn't on your normal plan. You're like, oh, I might as well eat what I want now for the rest of the weekend. I'll start back on Monday, the myth of magic Monday, something else I talk about in the book that, that's not helpful thinking. Like the, the nutritional equivalent of that, where you let one meal spiral into an entire weekend, is like driving down the motorway, getting one flat tire and then slashing the other three tires because one went flat. 
with self-sabotage, if you go off plan, you just reset and you get back on plan. You know, I know you've spoken to Trisha Lewis. Trish is where I got that reset principle. And it works so well. And if you fall off plan on a Saturday for the first meal, cool. You reset and you're back on plan for the afternoon. Or if it extended to the weekend, you don't let it roll into Monday. You don't let one week become two. So you're using that approach consistently. And with nutrition, and you know this, Carol, better than anybody, you don't even have to get it right 100% of the time. That's the mad thing. Like, you know, if you have it 80% of the time and you're following what will support you with your nutritional choices, you'll get great results when it comes to weight loss or fat loss or body composition. It's crazy. You don't even need 100% strike rate. Like, you're not a professional athlete. It's actually quite straightforward. But what happens with self-sabotage is it spirals. It's one thing that spirals into the next and it's damage limitation for the most part. So, you know, the analogy I'll use is if you're digging a hole and you want to get out of the hole, you don't keep digging down. You know, you, you climb out. But with self-sabotage and that binging restrict element that can come with it, that's not helpful. So what I'd say with it is use the failure as feedback to help you with and understand what didn't work in the past so that you can use that in the present going forward with your nutrition. If you go off plan, don't press the I might as well button or the panic button. But if you do, press reset. And those three tools can be really useful for self-sabotage. Yeah, and of course, it's about balancing everything out. So in terms of your food approach, your training approach, and if something happens, it's the 80-20 approach where you just have a meal of or Chinese or takeaway, whatever it is, and enjoy it. Um, plateauing. So people are listening in around now. The results they've got probably for the first couple of weeks of their new plan is, you know, have been really good. Everything begins to plateau probably around now. So I thought it'd be good to bring up that kind of topic and chat through what they can do when the results do plateau. And obviously not falling off the wagon is one of them, not giving up is another. But, you know, people are going through it. What can they do? Uh, that's a belter of a question because it's, it's one of those that when people are struggling with a plateau, I'd bring it back first to the tracking. You know, if you're tracking weight loss versus fat loss, don't track the wrong thing. You know, I wouldn't use the number in my bank account to track how good I am in bed. I'm like, those two numbers aren't helpful. to They're, they're, they're irrelevant to one another. And that can happen with fat loss and weight loss, where people are actually reducing body fat because what they're doing is working, but they're tracking weight. And they're like, well, the weight's not moving. But weight fluctuates day to day. That's one of those metrics that can go up and down based on carbohydrate intake, sodium intake, water intake, stress levels, whereas body fat doesn't fluctuate like that day to day. So tracking the right thing is key. But what I'll also say here is, when it comes to fat loss plateaus in particular, I think how you set up is very important because if you're hitting a fat loss plateau by dropping calories, there's only so far you can go with that. So for example, if your maintenance calories is 2,000 and you're in an 1,800 calorie, you know, 200 calorie per day deficit, and then you plateau, you drop it to 17, and you plateau and you drop it to 16, then to 15, and before you know it, you're at 1,200 calories, which is the intake for a seven-year-old girl, and you don't really have anywhere you can go with that, so you normally have to reverse diet out and, and take a different approach. So what I'd say here is don't underestimate the impact of increasing your metabolic rate through sleeping well and resistance training. They're the things that set you up for long-term success when it comes to a weight loss, fat loss plateau, because if you're doing something like resistance training, that's gonna increase your metabolic rate, i.e. boost your metabolism. It's the calorie burning equivalent of making money while you sleep. So if you're doing resistance training, strength training in the gym or at home, doesn't matter where you're doing it, you're going to have an increase in metabolic rate, which means that you're burning more calories while you rest. The chapter I use in the book is, you know, burn calories while watching TV. That's doing resistance training, strength training that will continually allow you to burn calories while you're resting. 
when you apply that and make sure you have good sleep because that's obviously going to improve the recovery element of it as well, that normally stops plateaus happening from the front end. So sometimes a prevention is better than cure approach when it comes to fat loss plateaus. Now, if you do that and you want to just push it a bit further, some of the strategies I give in the book are things like carb cycling, which I'm a fan of, where you're cycling carbohydrates intake based on different days. Like understanding how macronutrients work, so protein, essential amino acids, meaning you have to get them from food or supplements. Your body cannot make them by itself. And there's essential fatty acids, meaning that you have to get them from food or protein or from food or supplements. Your body can't make them by themselves. So you have to hit your essential amino acids from protein and fats, but you don't want your carbohydrates. There's no essential carbohydrate, but what carbohydrates do is, apart from some of the vitamins and minerals, et cetera, the nutrients, is they give your body energy. So if you're using that macronutrient to fuel those workouts, particularly if you're working out, you know, I'm also the believer that you can hit a weight loss target by just hitting a step count every day. I think different things work for different people. But assuming you're working out, I do like something like carb cycling for breaking that plateau. So it means that your protein stays steady, your carbohydrates will fluctuate based on what you're doing that day. So you might have a low intake on a rest day, a moderate intake on a normal training day, and then like high intake on like a leg day or a, a metabolic conditioning day where you're doing something quite intense or you're going for a long hike or a long cycle. You're bumping up your carbs on those days and then you're adjusting your fats obviously around it so your calories balance. I, I talk about all of that in the book. And that can work quite well to push people past a fat loss plateau. There's loads of things you can do, switching up training, etc., working towards different goals, but that's just one that works. But what I'd say is prevention being better than cure. Look at your resistance training. Look at your strength training and get your calorie burns from that because then you generally don't hit that fat loss plateau regardless of what you do because you're building lean muscle tissue. You're consistently elevating that metabolic rate. You're feeling really good doing it. You're building progress, getting momentum, staying motivated because you're progressing and then you're just rinsing and repeating. Deep breath, everybody. Deep breath. You're writing notes as you listen to the podcast. There's lots of content being fired your way. I'm very much aware of that. Brian, give us your, I suppose your top, this is a horrible question, but I ask everyone, it's important. <laughs> top tips, top three tips for people listening in. There's loads of content we've thrown at them. Obviously, there's more content in the book, but top three tips for people to take away from the episode. What are your top three? Get clear, first and foremost, on what you're looking to do. I think that, that above all else, you can't hit a target you can't see. And if you want to lose weight, if you want to lose body fat, if you want to build muscle, if you want to tone up, get clear on what you want to do first. And that sounds really obvious. But And I know you've had this too, Carl, because it's just the nature of working in the fitness, health, wellness industry. I'll have people that I'm working with, and when I ask them what they want to do, they'll have kind of a generic answer. And they'll be like, well, you know, I want to be healthier, or, you know, I want to lose a bit of weight. So I'm like, okay, I want to lose a bit of weight is better than I don't know what I want to do, but get specific with it. You know, do you want to lose 10 pounds? Are you trying to lose 50 pounds? Like, what are you trying to do? And then getting clear on that goal on the front end. After it then, ask yourself, is this a good time to do it? In the book, I have a section in there on when to rest and when to prioritize. And I don't think, and as someone that's a nutritionist, sports nutritionist, and as someone that works with people with weight loss and fat loss, there is a time and a place to prioritize your weight loss journey, and there's a time and a place when you should take a break from it. Now, I'm also not saying don't quit. Like, there, there are the three things I break down. What happens with a lot of people, from my experience, is they go all or nothing. They make the nutritional changes, they make the dietary changes, they make the training changes or lifestyle changes, but they go kind of all in on it for a period of time, and then when something goes wrong or that they 
you know, lack of progress, they just quit and they stop. And that quitting mindset means you normally have to go all the way back to the start when you decide you want to hit that goal again, as opposed to asking, well, can I prioritize this right now? Or should I be taking a break back from it? I think when you look at diet as a nutritional strategy or a nutritional plan you're following, you're not reinventing the wheel at any stage. You're just making these slight adjustments. So for example, you know, I would argue in January, February, it's quite a good time to prioritize your nutrition, prioritize your training. There's less things going on. You know, it's a bit more of a fitness time of year. It's a good time to prioritize getting a plan in place. I would make the counter argument at December and Christmas that it's a, not a good time to do it. That's a time for family or spending time with friends or taking a break. But also you don't quit and you know start pouring bulmers on your cornflakes in the morning. Like you don't go to zero. And I think when you approach nutrition like that and when you find a nutritional strategy that works well for you, you can make those adjustments upwards or downwards without completely going back to start and quitting. So I would say that. I would say get clear on your goal. I would say ask yourself, is this the time to prioritize or is this the time to rest? And then I would double down on the failure as feedback. I think so many of us beat ourselves up when we fall off plan. And I've worked with clients over the years, and I know you specialize with this as well, with people who are very overweight or obese, who have their identity wrapped up with their progress. And if they fall off plan, they may not have the same language, but I remind them, you're not a bad person because you fell off plan. I was like, that doesn't make you a bad person. You've done like nothing wrong. You've fallen off. You aren't eating the way you said you were going to eat in the morning. That's fine. We use that failure as feedback. But don't beat yourself up. And I don't think that's a helpful strategy for anybody. I think self-compassion, you know, for the lack of a cheesier term, self-love, self-love towards yourself, self-compassion towards yourself when you fall off plan is a much more successful approach. Now also, don't lean, be lenient all the time and say, right, I'm just going to have my Chinese every single day and, you know, oh, the, well, hopefully the way it comes down. Like that's, that's not going to work either. But ease up on yourself. If you fall off plan and something doesn't go right or you miss a workout or you miss a walk or you have the Chinese that you didn't plan to have, cool. You're not a bad person. Just reset and get back on plan again. So they're probably the three things that I think would benefit people the most. Brian, as always, it's great to catch up. Uh, remind us of the name of the book. It's in all bookstores now. What's the name of it again? It is The Keen Age Mastering the Mindset for Real Lasting Fat Loss. Epic. Brian, the very best of luck with the book and it's great to see you and I'll see you in person very, very soon. Fingers crossed. Folks, that's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Lots of content. You may even need to listen back to it twice to get all of the content that Brian threw at you there. So, we uh, really hope that you enjoyed it. As ever, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram, realhealthindependent.ie and we'll see you next week for more Real Health. So long ago. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.